Welcome to Catholics Across the Isle, the podcast of the Florida Conference of Catholic Bishops, offering commentary on public policy and civic life. This is Michael Sheedy, Executive Director of the Conference. I'm joined today by Michelle Taylor, the Associate Director for Communications at the Florida Conference of Catholic Bishops. Michelle, glad to be on here with you today as we uh, reflect on the general election. Glad to be here. It does seem by all accounts that the process uh, worked, that everything went smoothly as far as the election in Florida. I haven't really heard of any reports where there's been problems with counting or ballots or any other concerns or concerns with fraud. So I think that's some good news, you know, as, as far as our democracy is concerned. And Yeah, we had our results much more timely than some of these other states. I think the improvements that have been made to our process have have worked and are bearing fruit. Really good good to be a Floridian today. It is. It is. You know, I think nationally the process is is still working. It's just taking taking time, I think, because of, you know, mainly just the increased turnout around the country. Yeah. And here in Florida, we had really high turnout. I guess 77 percent of registered voters actually voted, which is the highest since 1992. That's about 11 million Floridians who uh, cast ballots this election. So, Well, I suppose we should start with the race for the presidency, the top of the ticket. Donald Trump received Florida's delegates in the Electoral College. His margin of victory expanded over his margin of victory in 2016 to about 375,000 votes, more than double what he did last time. He tended to perform better than expected in South Florida, particularly among Latinos. The president also uh, did better in other places across the state as well. Right. Um, Trump really dominated in the rural and mid-sized counties across the state. In fact, he won 55 of 67 of Florida's counties. The only one rural county that he lost was Gadsden County, which is just west uh, of us here in Tallahassee, just west of Leon County. So he was able to hold down losses in the urban areas and then also really do well and and increase turnout in the rural and mid-sized counties across the state. And I think uh, Florida followed the national trend, you know, where more Democrats tended to vote early, at least a greater proportion voted early and by mail. And Republicans showed up on election day uh, to a greater degree as well. Interesting. Just an interesting phenomenon that way. Well, I think we should probably stick with the federal side of things here. And we did not have any contested races for the U.S. Senate uh, this cycle. We look forward to that changing in two years. We did have congressional elections this year. And we saw some change in Florida's delegation, some perhaps unexpected changes as well. Right. Actually, we're going to have uh, five new members uh, of our congressional delegation this year. There were two open races. Congressman uh, Rooney and Congressman Yoho did not run again this term. And so we have two new congresspersons there. And then uh, Congressman Spano, who was a former state legislator, he actually lost in the primary election. And so there's three new people there. And then we had um, two races that flipped from Democrat to Republican. Right, Don Shalala in South Florida and Debbie Mukarsal Powell both were defeated by Republican challengers. Carsel Powell by kind of prominent Republican mayor, uh, Carlos Jimenez, will be going to Congress. And Maria Elvira Salazar defeated Donna Shalala, and she'll be entering the Florida, the U.S. House of Representatives. So 
some changes there. I guess our delegation's complexion changes a little bit more. It's a little bit redder. You know, it was more evenly split. And I guess we'll have a 16 to 11 Republican to Democrat split in, in the Florida delegation in Congress. You know, when you look at the, the Florida legislative races, um, you know, this is sort of an area where we're going to be interacting with a lot more of these candidates here at the Florida Conference of Catholic Bishops as we try to lobby and continue to lobby in this uh, pandemic-changed world in a, a new process uh, as we continue to integrate, interact with a lot of legislators throughout the, I guess, the interim period here in anticipation of this new session. But Florida laws, state laws tend to have a, a greater effect on the ways that people live than a lot of the laws that are passed in Congress. So um, this would hopefully be of interest to, to our listeners as we reflect on a lot of those races. It's been, it was a little bit interesting. I think uh, Republicans felt like they were facing a stiffer challenge. Democrats were uh, trying to run a candidate in every House race of the 120. They were able to get 119 uh, candidates uh, in the general election. They had unprecedented levels of cash. Um, however, just, they made some gains in 2018 of, I guess, five seats. But this cycle, you know, they gave those five seats back. The Florida House will have uh, 78 Republicans and 42 Democrats. Almost a supermajority for Republicans, but just not quite at what would be an 80-40 split. Just looking back at this whole cycle, uh, it was a little bit striking that a couple of Democrats were defeated in the primary, um, Al Jaquette and Kim Daniels. They were folks who supported the parental consent before a minor's abortion law, and they did face uh, opposition to primaries and were defeated there. There were also a number of, of races we were watching that were rather close in 2018. One of those was that of Representative Wyman Duggan uh, from Jacksonville, also Representative Vance Lupus uh, from South Florida. Jackie Toledo, also a member of the Florida House, faced a stiff opposition Polls actually showed her trailing um, right up until Election Day, but she did prevail against Tom Fabricio. Also, we had a couple of uh, Democratic incumbents defeated. Representative Cindy Polo, uh, she was actually defeated by Tom Fabricio. And Representative Jennifer Webb was defeated by Linda Cheney. And then in St. Lucie County, Representative Dolores Hogan-Johnson was defeated by Dana Trabulsi. So Dana Trabulsi will be a Republican in the Florida House. So they, the Republicans were able to actually expand their margin, which was not really expected um, going into Election Day by a lot of observers. There were uh, two open seats in the Florida House that were both taken by Republicans. Fiona McFarland defeated Drake Buckman in District 72. And Demi Busada Cabrera, who was an aide to Senator Anna Terry Flores, won her race in District 114 over Jean-Pierre Badeau. Uh, again, Republicans had a strong showing in the Florida House, actually really unexpected uh, by a lot of observers, but that's where we're going to be as we get ready for this next session in the House. There was, so there was a lot of speculation that the Florida Senate uh, might be a place where the Democrats would pick up a few seats. Republicans were controlling that chamber by a margin of 23 to 17 in the last biennium. There were some open contested seats uh, as members termed out. One was held by Senator David Simmons, another by Senator Anna Terry Flores. Uh, Senator Tom Lee had decided not to return to the Senate. In the end, uh, the Simmons seat was won by former state representative Jason Broder. He had been attacked actually in the campaign for 
filing legislation that would protect the consciences of adoption agencies and foster care providers who wanted to only place children with a mom and a dad, biological mom and dad. Also, having been the, the chairman of the committee that passed the committee bill that would allow adoption by uh, couples of the same sex. So uh, just interesting turn of events there, but uh, he did try to protect those consciences of those providers. And we've got that U.S. Supreme Court case that just heard arguments along this line from from Philadelphia just this week. Interesting that he'll be in the Florida Senate after a two-year hiatus from the legislature. Also, former state representative Anna Maria Rodriguez did survive a very difficult primary, and she did go on to beat uh, also her former colleague, uh, former state representative Javier Fernandez, uh, to win Senator Flores' seat that covers a lot of Miami-Dade County and the Florida Keys. Senator Tom Lee's seat uh, was won by former state representative Danny Burgess, who had served most recently as the executive director of the Florida Department of Veterans Affairs. So he will be a new senator here in Florida. Now, there's one race that's still a little bit open. You know, our system, as you mentioned at the beginning, Michelle, is still working. Um, but there's a really tight race in Senate District 37. That seat's been held by um, Jose Javier Rodriguez. And uh, he faced some serious, uh, a real challenge by Ileana Garcia, who appears to be up by 18 votes uh, in that race, over a couple hundred thousand that have been cast. I think it's interesting that in that race, there was another Rodriguez in there uh, who's got no party affiliation, Alex Rodriguez, who got about 6,000 votes in that race. Interesting that only 18 separate them. So that'll likely trigger a, a recount, right, Michelle? Right. If the uh, margin is within 0.5%, um, that automatically tr- triggers a machine recount. And then on after that, if the margin is within 0.25% after the machine recount, then it will trigger a hand recount. So if we're looking at, you know, 18 votes, as you said, out of a, a couple hundred thousand, you know, that's 0.01%. So we're within that margin if it stays around that number. Um, after the machinery count, that would, you know, push it to a hand recount as well. And so we may not know that race, the final result for another week or so. The all final returns are certified not until Tuesday, November 17th. So there is some time there um, before everything is certified. Those of us from Tallahassee, uh, we're probably following the race between former state rep Lorraine Osley. Uh, she ran against uh, Marva Preston, and um, that was a more contested race than people expected. There were a lot of funds spent in that race, but Senator Bill Mofford will be replaced by Lorraine Osley. Okay, well, Michelle, we had some amendments to the Constitution that were on the ballot as well. We did. Um, there were six uh, amendments to Florida's Constitution on the ballot. Out of those six, four of them passed. Uh, If you recall, in order for amendment to pass, it needs to garner 60% of the vote in favor of the amendment. So it is a high bar to reach. The two that did not pass, talk about those briefly first. One of those was amendment three, which would have eliminated Florida's closed primary election. So that means only Republicans can vote in a Republican primary and Democrats in a Democratic primary. So that was at 57, just over 57%. So it did not make that 60% threshold to pass. So that Amendment 3 failed. And also Amendment 4 failed. 
Uh, and that would have made it more difficult to pass an amendment to the Constitution. Um, it would have required that a proposed amendment passed and reached that 60% threshold two for two election cycles, so two times in a row. So um, that would have made it very difficult to pass any amendment to our Constitution. So that one also failed. That one just garnered, um, I think it was about 47%. So that one wasn't very close at all. Uh, to passing. There were, of course, then that leaves us four amendments that did pass. Michael, I'll let you talk about those. Sure. Well, the first was Amendment 1 that would require every voter in Florida elections to be a citizen. That is the current status quo right now. It would just expand that or, or strengthen that, make it more obvious in the Florida Constitution as we go forward. That did get almost 80% of the vote. Also, Amendment 2 does raise Florida's minimum wage in the Constitution. Uh, it's an amendment that was really spearheaded by kind of prominent trial lawyer named John Morgan. That measure narrowly passed at just over 60%. It hit the threshold. It will increase the minimum wage from about $8.51 to $10 in September of 2021. And then we'll see a $1 increase in the minimum wage each successive year until 2026. Now, I think people recognize that low wage earners in this pandemic have really suffered. I think that that seemed to carry the day over just a sense of recognition that certainly small business owners have also suffered. So while this may cost a few jobs, it will increase the wages of, of folks who are working. We'll see what the long-term effects are, but without question, uh, there are a lot of folks who are struggling to get by in Florida. So the, the two uh, final amendments that passed were Amendment 5, which um, increases the amount of time that someone could uh, transfer their homestead exemption um, from two to three years. And then Amendment 6 allows for property tax discounts for certain veterans who are permanently um, disabled, as well as surviving spouses. And those both passed um, with overwhelming support. So changes are made to the state constitution. Well, Michelle, I know um, we at the conference were pretty busy through the cycle, developing resources to help inform voters as to the positions of candidates. Yes, we were. And we put out a few resources. We had our presidential candidate comparison, as well as our candidate questionnaire project. The bishops also did um, put out some considerations for voters on Amendment 2. Of course, we are you know nonpartisan. And so uh, the bishops do try to help inform Catholics before they go to cast their ballots. Um, but really, that final decision is up to the individual. Um, so, you know, we strived for our documents and our resources to be unbiased. And I did want to mention with our candidate questionnaire project, um, about 50% of those who won their race, um, they did respond to the questionnaire and their responses will remain on our website so that um, anyone can go and view and see how your lawmaker, whether it's an incumbent or it's somebody new, how they responded to the 10 questions that we asked them. And those questions pertained to, you know, very specific proposals that we think will come before them and they'll be able to act on in this coming legislative session, or at least in the next two year term. And so there's, you know, you can pick up there from the, their responses, uh, where they, uh, their positions or where they may be leaning um, on some of those important issues. Now, Michelle, we just had our election, our general election. People have been you know, accessing these resources, they've been reflecting on forming consciences for faithful citizenship. Is that the end of everything? No, it surely is not. It's, you know, I think 
seems like it for some people, because we always hear, you know, as we're leading up to the election, all about faithful citizenship. And um, people are always kind of asking about that and trying to learn more. And then as soon as election day happens, it's like, oh, they think they're done. I'm finished with that until the next, you know, election. But that is par from the case. Um, Really, that's uh, after the election is when it really just begins, not when it ends. Now that people are have been elected. Um, we need to hold those uh, elected officials to um, either their campaign promises or the positions, the, re- the reason we voted for them possibly, or, you know, propose new ideas to those who won the election who, you know, maybe aren't in line with our positions or our principles. I'm more convinced than ever that the vision that the bishops lay out in terms of what's possible for our society through the political process to the positions that they have articulated uh, really could go a long way to helping Florida and really our country to flourish uh, more deeply. Now, I think most observers recognize that those positions don't easily fall into one party's uh, platform or the others. So they're somewhat nonpartisan. They're based on the policies and they're based on principle. You know, my sincere hope is that, you know, as people continue to be faithful citizens, that they will reflect more deeply on the vision that the bishops lay out there um, and also work, you know, within parties or work in their spheres of influence to help elected officials to take positions that might not be perfectly in line with their parties, but really do reflect well respect for human life, respect for human dignity in ways that we can all appreciate. I think, you know, certainly we are still facing the scourge of abortion and assisted suicide. Uh, The death penalty is still being applied here in Florida. Uh, We have got to deal with uh, the crisis of our immigration policy here in Florida and really at the national level. There are a lot of challenges that confront us around the environment. Um, Just there's a lot that can be done and a lot that needs to be done. And my hope is that we Catholics can can really help to lead other you know, elected officials and policymakers to good solutions to those challenges that confront us, drawing on the richness of our faith and the gospel. So we'll see how that all unfolds, but it certainly is the perennial call to us to be faithful citizens. So one way that to do that for the Catholic faithful is to join our advocacy network, our electronic network. You can sign up online at our website, um, flaccb.org. And um, this will allow you to stay informed on the issues and the work of the conference. It will also allow you to connect with your lawmaker. Um, We set out action alerts on important issues before votes are going to be happening or before issues are being engaged by the legislature. Uh, where you can send a message to your lawmaker. Our system will match you up with your correct lawmaker based on your address, and you can send a quick message to let them know to support or oppose a certain legislation. The message is pre-drafted, but if you want, you can change that message or add to that message, especially if you have some type of personal experience with the issue. It's always good to add that to your message, but it's simple. It's a way to stay informed and to stay active. And then we also have an upcoming event. We have our Catholic Days at the Capitol. Of course, this is an annual event. This coming year, it will take on a different form. It will be a virtual event. We'll be holding that in early to mid-February. So keep that in mind and check back on that date. No, it's like, you know, 
this has been quite a cycle. I will say, as I reflect back on it too, a couple of things do stand out for me. I think I, you know, as, as we interact with candidates, as we interact with uh, our fellow Catholics and other people of goodwill around Florida and beyond, it's been neat to, to dig more deeply into that forming consciences for faithful citizenship document. Last, but of course not least, we um, we also want to always remember to pray, you know, pray to seek God's blessing on our state and our nation and pray that the Holy Spirit will guide our elected leaders. Right. Please, God, may Florida flourish. All right. Well, thanks, Michelle. Thanks to our listeners for being with us today for another episode of Catholics Across the Aisle. We look forward to being with you next time. Thanks so much.